We're in Matthew chapter 24 this morning. It's been a long time since, uh, while I've been here, that we have observed this season of Advent, and I'm grateful to be able to do that. I'm thankful that Kelly was able to be here this morning to sing with us. We've been praying for you for a long while, and I asked Danny Ray on Tuesday, Danny Ray, will you light a candle for me in church on Sunday, and she just got plumb beside herself. She was one, I think she probably wanted to practice right then. So, um, thankful for that also. But as I said earlier, it works out perfect that we begin this week because it gives us up until Christmas Eve service to light the cross candle. So, you be praying about each week as we approach uh, Christmas. The overall theme of our sermon series is watchfulness. We're watching. We're looking backwards and forwards at the same time. And we will look at joyful repentance, trust, and hope. So the first candle we lit today was the prophecy candle, or the candle of hope. And we can have hope because God is faithful, and He will keep His promises made to us. In your insert, you'll find just a short number of the old... There there are over 300 prophecies that were fulfilled through the life of Christ, and there's just a few of those that are mentioned there in the insert in your worship guide. But the return of Christ is the central hope of all of the New Testament. And it's what we long and look for as a believer. We are longing for the return of Christ. Let's read these verses this morning as Jesus here is managing the unexpectations of His disciples. He has... Uh, He says, beginning in verse number 36, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Today's sermon echoes this theme that Jesus here is close to the end of His life. His earthly life is about to be over. But here He prophesies another beginning that He is talking about way in the future. Jesus the Messiah who's there physically with them, tells them to be watching for the return of the Messiah. It's an excellent introduction here to the Advent theme of past and future colliding in the present and the difficulty that we have living in expectation while not being quite sure what to expect. How many of you ever had that expectation as a child that during this season... Uh, of, of Christmas, and, and you had that expectation of Christmas morning, 
And you had that you all, all the time. When I was a kid, I'm going to date myself real bad here. When I was a kid, we didn't have any, uh, we, we didn't have any internet to look on. We had, the, we had the Sears and Roebuck catalog. Y'all remember that big, thick catalog that we had? And man, you'd get that down and you'd start looking through that, flipping, and you'd mark pages and you'd circle things and you'd hope that, you know, you'd leave the right hints all around the house. And sometimes those expectations were met. Sometimes those expectations were dashed. It was a part of uh, growing up and learning that everything doesn't always come the way we want it. We have spiritual expectations. I have I've shared with our group on Wednesday and Sunday evenings, um, I had this expectation that I've had about this period of my life for many, many years. I have always had a kid to get to a practice or a kid to get here or a kid to get there or something to do and just always seem to be in a rush and in a hurry. And I would always think there's going to come this time in my life where both will be driving, everybody will be self-sufficient, I won't have to be stretched, you know, getting somebody all these practices to go to and all these things to do. And I thought about all the extra time that I was going to have and all the new interests that I would pick up and all the new projects that I would do. Well, guess what? It hadn't turned out that way. It is, I had such high expectations, and it just didn't turn out that way. And so, here's what has, has replaced that expectation, has been a hurriedness. Other things have taken the place of those things and those places to be. Just and an anxiousness in my heart for the things to be the way I thought that they would be, to the point of where it just depressed me, that it wasn't the way I thought it was going to be. And I can relate it even more spiritually as to, we were talking this morning in the prayer time, uh, I met with a group that prayed in the prayer room this morning at 8.30, and they were talking about, some of them were talking about their Sunday school lesson, and about how it related kind of what I'm talking about here this morning. And one of them was saying, you know, it's after that mission trip, or it's after that spiritual high, and you're thinking about all those things that you're going to accomplish for the Lord, and all the things that are going to come about. And then you, you forget to calculate something in there, in all that. You have an enemy. You have an enemy that's going about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And I can remember this past mission trip, being there on that trip, and being there on the field, there doing missions. And I can remember, you know, all the things that were flooding my soul were going to my mind, and, I, and we were talking, and I was, just overabundantly thinking about all the things I was going to accomplish when I got back home and all the, thing, all the ministries and all the things that were going to be impacted. Well, guess what I didn't calculate into that on that bus ride home? Was that there's an enemy who is going around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he had a plan and a strategy to combat those things. And so I have been in a spiritual fight, in a spiritual warfare, that really has been something like nothing I've ever seen. But here, in the midst of all that, God is teaching me great lessons. And one of the things that I hear Him kind of saying to me and kind of whispering to me is this. We will get there, but not exactly in the way you were expecting and anticipating. We're going in my direction. 
Just like Moses, when, he, when, he, when they went across, when the Red Sea parted, and they got on the other side, and Moses knew the direct route to, the, to Canaan, God said, no, not so quick. We're going to learn some lessons. Now, they learned a lesson for 40 years. I don't think I can handle it. But here we see that same thing going on with the disciples. Jesus is with the disciples in Jerusalem. And I can imagine this. Every time that the disciples were there with Jesus in the city of Jerusalem, they, were, they had an anticipation and an expectation that you and I just can't understand. They have been with this one who had authority that they had never seen before. They were with this one who had a ministry that they'd never seen before, that had power from heaven that they'd never seen before. And they were anticipating every time they went to the city of Jerusalem, they were anticipating that he was going to stop everything and he was going to set up an earthly kingdom there and they were going to be openly rewarded for what they had given up in following him. And now they're sitting there and he begins there in verse number 1 to begin to tell them that all of their expectations are way, way, way in the future. He begins there in verse number 1, what we call the Olivet Discourse, there on the Mount of Olives, as he's answering their questions, and it's not what they were expecting. Instead of telling them that their hopes are about to be fulfilled, he begins this discourse about future events and prophecies that are going to be fulfilled. And what he's saying to them is this. He's saying, we'll get there, but not in the way you were expecting and anticipating. So we see in these scriptures here that we've outlined this morning, we see God's plan for Christ's return. And we see in verse 44 that someday there will be a sudden, personal, visible, bodily return of Jesus Christ to this earth. Jesus talked a lot about His return. He said, therefore, in verse number 44, He said, therefore you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. In John 14, 3, He said, I will come again and I will take you to Myself that where I am you may be also. This, this theme is frequently mentioned all throughout the New Testament. It's the dominant hope of the whole New Testament church. These verses here predict a sudden return of Jesus Christ that is going to be dramatic and it's going to be visible and that the whole world will be in awe of. And it's going to be a personal and bodily return. What did the angel say to those who were standing around as Jesus ascended into heaven? He said, why do you stand and gaze into the heavens this one who you see leaving is going to return in the same way as you see him go into heaven. We've known it for a long, long time. The expectations of his disciples now, after this Olivet Discourse and after he gives them these words, they have to adjust their expectations. And here's what that Jesus is there with them. He's there with them personally. He's there with them visibly. He's there with them bodily. So why does He have to leave them? And why does He have to return at some time 
that's mysterious and not known to them. Think about our own expectations. Where are you in life? Are you sitting here this morning, I'm not looking for a show of hands, but are you sitting here this morning going through some sort of difficulty? And have you been going through that difficulty for a, for a while? And have there been times during that difficulty that as a believer, you have said to the Lord, why, why are we going through this difficulty, Lord? Why are we taking this route through this difficulty? Maybe it's a, a health issue that has been lingering for a while and you just can't seem to shake it. And you've been to every doctor, you've been to every specialist, you've been everywhere that you can, and no one has been able to give you any kind of hope or any kind of diagnosis or anything that has made you feel any better about your situation. Maybe it's a financial situation that you've been dealing with for quite some time now. Maybe it's an issue in that way, and you keep trying, and you keep striving, and you keep doing more, but things just don't change. Maybe it's an issue with children or grandchildren or something in your family where there's something going on and you keep praying and you keep hoping and it seems like the more that you pray, the worse the situation gets. And you keep asking yourself, you know, Lord, why are we going, why are we going through these difficult times in our lives? And you know what? Sometimes, sometimes it's just for our own good. We have the hope of this promise here that where He said, that He was coming back again to be with us someday. So, the second point here is found in verse number 42. We should eagerly long for Christ's return. Read the words here in verse number 42 with me. It says, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Stay awake. Our longing for Christ's return should adjust how we live our lives every day. I read this story that Max Lucado wrote in the Eye of the Storm about having to make an adjustment. It says that a naval officer named Frank Koch illustrated the point in an article for the magazine of the Naval Institute. Frank says two battleships had been at sea on maneuvers in heavy weather for several days. I was serving on the lead battleship and was on watch on the bridge as night fell. The visibility was poor with patchy fog, so the captain remained on the bridge keeping an eye on all activities. Shortly after dark, the lookout reported, light bearing on the starboard bow. The captain said to the signalman, signal that ship, we are on a collision course, advise you change course 20 degrees. Back came the signal. Advisable for you to change course 20 degrees. The captain said, Send, I'm a captain, change course 20 degrees. I'm a seaman second class, came the reply. You had better change course 20 degrees. By this time, the captain is furious. He spat out, Send, I'm a battleship, change course 20 degrees. Back came the flashing light, I'm a lighthouse. We change course. There are times in our lives where we just simply have to change course. And as we look and as we see these Scriptures and as we know that these disciples had to change the course of their expectations, living in the light of Christ's return 
should adjust how we live our lives ourselves. Think about John's response at the end of Revelation when it should characterize every Christian's heart in any age that we live when he said, Amen, come Lord Jesus. And he meant come as quickly as you possibly can. So, the question for us this morning is this. Do we as Christians live in eager anticipation and do we eagerly long for the return of Jesus Christ? And here's what we think. And here's what we know as we look at the world. The more as Christians we get caught up in enjoying the good things of this life, and the more we neglect genuine Christian fellowship and their personal relationship with Christ, the less we will long for His return. Did you catch something that Omar said in his statement last week as he was preaching? And he talked about coming to the United States from Nicaragua. And he talked about how easy sometimes it is for them coming from the poverty-stricken area that they live in and coming to the United States. And it's easy for them to get caught up in the fact that there is everything here. And there's nothing that you could want for or nothing that you would have to do without here in America. Now, does that only affect those who are not Christians? No. Look at the lives of us as Christians. It affects us also. We get caught up in the trappings of this world and the trappings of this life and all the things that we have, sometimes to the detriment of our personal relationship with the Lord. Brother Philip Cooper, who was our pastor before I was the pastor, Brother Philip had a friend who would come here that Brother Philip met on a missionary trip in Russia. And Brother Philip's friend got to where he would come to America and spend a few weeks with, with Philip. And you know what, my, what his, Philip's favorite, Philip's friend's favorite thing to do was, or favorite place to go? Never been to Disney, never been to Six Flags, never been to any of those, you know, major landmarks that, that we would think that someone would want to go to. You know what his favorite place to go to? And spend hours just walking around Walmart. He would go into Walmart, and Brother Phillips said he would drop him off at Walmart, and he would leave him, and he said he would come back hours later, and he would still, he wouldn't buy anything. He'd just be looking at all the shelves that were filled. Because you see where he was from, when he went somewhere, the shelves were empty. And so he was looking and, and looking at those things. And what, he, what we see is we see a very distracted society. We see a society that is caught, so caught up in all of the trappings that it interferes with our life with Jesus. But look on the other hand. Where are the greatest revivals in our world happening today? The greatest revivals in our world are happening in places not like Nicaragua, like Central America. There are more, listen to me, there are more Christians meeting together this morning in Sao Paulo, Sao Paulo Brazil, one of the poorest places on the face of the earth. There are more Christians gathered there meeting in church services this morning than the total number of some of our denominations in the United States. I saw the comparison was the Assemblies of God, which was what, 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 
used to be one of the most thriving denominations in our nation, there are more Christians meeting in Sao Paulo, Brazil, in extreme poverty than some of the uh, total number of denominations in our own United States. More, more Christians meeting in places where there is complete and abject poverty. Many Christians we know who are experiencing suffering or persecution or who are more elderly and frail, those whose daily walk with Christ is vital and deep are going to have a more intense longing for His return. I told you about my experience that I've been going through in the last few months, and I can tell you this, it has made me desperately seek a closer relationship with the Lord, and in that desperate seeking for a more personal relationship with the Lord, it has made me long more to see His return. Then to some extent, the degree to which we actually long for Christ's return is a measure of the spiritual condition of our own lives at any moment. It gives us some measure of the degree to which we see the world as it really is. And here's how the world really is, is the way God sees it. He sees it in bondage to sin and rebellion against Him and in the power of the evil one. And so we do not know when Christ will return. Jesus makes this very clear in verse number 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. How many of you ever, ever encountered anybody who, who was going to, and they would tell you they knew when Jesus was coming back? You ever seen them on TV or, or talked to them and they could tell you they would say they knew the date and the, and the, and the, uh, when Jesus was coming back. Listen, there are some people who have made a lot of good money selling books about the 87 reasons that Jesus is coming back in 1987. You can probably get one of those books today for 87 cents. Let me give you this piece of advice. If anyone, if you ever meet anyone and they tell you, I know when Jesus is coming back, I know the date, stay away from them. Get away from them and don't get back involved with them, okay? Amen? Because Jesus Himself says here, nobody knows but the Father. We do not and cannot know the time when Christ will return. He says, watch therefore. The point of the passages is that Jesus is telling us that we cannot know when He is coming back. Since He will come at an unexpected time, we should be ready at all times for Him to return. He describes it as a thief coming in the middle of the night. Now, if you knew the date, that if Jesus gave us an exact date that He was coming back, if He told us for certain, now I'm coming back January the 3rd, 2018, what would be the things that people would do? Some would get ready. Some would put off everything spiritual until January the 2nd, 2018. Just in the nick of time. Some would put off anything that they... If, if we thought that we were living and we knew when Jesus was coming back, how many people would put off starting anything? Because they think, well, Jesus is coming. There's no reason for me to put off and to start anything because Jesus is coming back, so why get in a hurry? Why start anything new? We ought to be starting new ministries. We ought to be starting new Sunday school classes. We ought to be starting new things. We ought to be starting. We ought to be living 
eagerly in anticipation for His return, but we ought to be starting and doing and, and going and giving and living as much for Him as we possibly can because we have no idea what is going to happen. Read, read with me here, verses 37 through 39, Jesus' description. He says, For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, what are these activities here that Jesus is talking about? He says they're going to be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. What are these things? They're just everyday behaviors and actions of everyday life. They're just the things that go on in everyday life. Jesus is saying they were just living like they lived all since the beginning of time. And they weren't looking forward to anything unusual happening or for God to pour out wrath on them. They were just going about and living. How about, how about this society we live in? We gather together, we, we eat, we drink, we live every day, we go about our lives. We gather together on Thursday and eat a great big Thanksgiving meal and think about how we're going to get a treadmill for Christmas and get all that holiday weight off. And Then life just comes on and goes and the new year starts and we just begin all over and we do and we just go and this society never seems to be looking or longing for Jesus. Look at Noah. Noah labored for 120 years. 120 years he labored building an ark. Some of you have had the opportunity to go and visit the ark there that um, has been built in Kentucky that is an exact replica of the biblical description of the ark. I know it has to be amazing and I hope to get to go there someday and see it. But as he's working on this ark, what is he doing at the same time? He's going about doing what God called him to do, but he's also doing what? He's warning people. He's warning people about the coming flood. He's warning people. For 120 years, he's warning them. He's hammering, he's building, he's supervising. He has his sons building. But for 120 years he preaches and people turn a deaf ear and look the other way. Don't you know that Noah was probably a curious novelty of his day? People probably came out to see Noah and look at what he was doing. Probably people came from miles around just to look and roll their eyes and laugh at this crazy fool who was telling people that it was going to rain there was going to be a flood and that God's judgment was going to be poured out on them and yet they just went about every day eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage and never thinking about what was being told to Noah from God. What's the world's view of Christianity today? What's the world's view of what we teach and preach on Sunday mornings? 
The world's view of Christianity is a lot of eye-rolling and a lot of laughing, and we, we are becoming a curious novelty with uh, uh, what we are told are superstitions and myths and all the things that, and all the trappings that go along with that, and the world is going on, and they are living as they've always lived. And yet, here we have the Scriptures, and Jesus is saying these things are going to come to pass, and someday I will return, and you don't know when, and I'm going to come like a thief in the night, and when I come, I will come visibly and powerfully, and no one will have any doubt as to who I am. I'll be King of kings and Lord of lords. I won't be a humble teacher walking around in poverty with a ragtag group of people following me. I will come with the army of heaven behind me. And God's wrath and judgment will come with me. And no one likes to hear that anymore. We want to leave church inspired and we want to leave church patted on the back, and we never want to talk about these things, and we never want to have our sins pointed out, and we never want to be told that we're living like the rest of the world, that we're just watching the world go on, and we're not doing what God has called us to do and telling other people about what Jesus said here in the Scriptures. And in spite of God's coming judgment by a flood, people just went about, about their daily routines and in the middle of this ignorant bliss, a flood came and in the words of Jesus, swept every one of them away. So here's the question this morning for all of us who say that we're a Christian. How are we living? Are we living in eager, watchful anticipation are we living knowing that we've been called to a task here on this earth and that that task is not finished? Are we living knowing that our, our responsibility is to tell others about Jesus and to tell them about what He has said here and to lovingly, as often as we can, encourage them and point them to Jesus, but even when we have to, to use God's Word, to show them of God's coming judgment on this earth? Or are we distracted and occupied like the rest of the world with the worldly pursuits? Are we more occupied and, and distracted by what's going on in the world? Are we living like the rest of the world? Are we worried about the next big promotion? Are we worried about the next purchase? Are we worried about building and doing more? like the rest of the world, or are we preoccupied with doing what Christ has called us to do? I can tell you this, that even in the midst of the warfare, even in the midst of the trouble, even in the midst of the trial and tribulation, Jesus has reassured me that in this life those things will come. But you know what He also said? Have heart because I have what? I've overcome the world. Listen, I'm not, I, I'm not in this, I'm not serving some, some, some milk toast, pie in the sky, in the sweet by and by. I am serving the Creator of the universe. I am living for the Creator of the universe. 
I stood in amazement last week, and he's not here this morning. I stood in amazement last week and watched Coach Jones walk down the aisle, walk down the aisle of his son Evan's wedding, when about six to eight weeks earlier, you can talk to Micah, you can talk to Seth, you can talk to Sammy Holbrooks, about six to eight weeks earlier, the doctors told Sherry and Liz, you're going to take him home, you're going to put him in a bed, and you're going to take care of him until he goes. My God got involved, and my God walked him down that aisle, and my God healed him, and he may not be 100% right now, but he's way more than what he was when we saw him. And I'm going to tell you, whatever your situation is in life, that same God can get involved and He'll change that whole situation. And you can sit here and look back at me like, go home and get you some lunch and shut up and let us go. Or you can get off your duff and do something for Jesus. There are situations in my life right now that God is going to get involved in and God is going to get glory for. And I'm going to be able to stand and say, God got the glory. You understand me? You think I'm going to quit? My mama didn't raise a quitter. I got beat up my whole life growing up. I was always the smallest. I got beat up. I lived in the mill village. They beat me up every day over here in the mill village. We moved out in the country, and I thought, well, it'll get better. There's not as many people out here. Well, I lived with, in the same neighborhood with my Uncle Joey and Johnny and Eddie Martin. They beat me up every day. I've been beat up most all of my life, and I've never quit. Serve God and serve Him hard and serve Him courageously and don't get caught up in the trappings of this world. Now let me tell you something here this morning. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I know Jesus and He changed my life radically. He changed my wife's life radically. He took us from where we were and He brought us to where we are. Living for the Lord. Let me tell you this. You go home and you watch TV this afternoon and there will be preachers who will tell you that if you'll follow Jesus, the rest of your life will be a bed of roses and it will be excellent and it will be happy and you'll be rich. I'm going to tell you they're lying. I'm going to tell you that serving Jesus can be hard. It can be difficult. Man, it's worth it. Because there's not one step of the way where He won't be standing right beside you. Not one step of the way. I'm going to tell you this morning, if you're here and you don't know Him, you better come to know Him. Because He said in these Scriptures, I'm coming back as a thief in the night, and He said, be ready. He said, stay awake, be ready, and be ready to go. And I'm telling you this morning, be ready to go. Because just in the days of, as in the days of Noah, when they were all swept away, let me tell you, there's two things happening in this world right now. God is extending His hand with gracious mercy, asking people to come and know Him with one hand, and with the other hand, He's holding back His wrath. And one day, this hand is going to come back, and He's going to let this hand go. And I want to be with Him. I want to be with Him in heaven and glory. This morning, don't waste time. 
Don't waste time. Come to know Jesus. If you've made Jesus your Savior, you've never been baptized, what in the world are you waiting on? Jesus walked 70 miles to be baptized. Without excuse. Come on and be baptized. If you know that this is the church you're supposed to be serving in and ministering in, what are you waiting on? Come on. Let's take care of it this morning. Maybe you're here and you need to pray. You say, man, this was supposed to be a Christmas sermon and you're talking about wrath. I, I, we'll, get, we'll get there, okay? But come and know Jesus. If you're here this morning and your heart has grown cold. If you're here this morning and, and a sermon like this used to stir your heart or music like this used to stir your heart and you're sitting here and you're cold and you're dead inside, get back with Jesus. Get back with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, God, give us mercy this morning. Give us grace this morning. Speak into our lives. Speak into our hearts. Speak, into, speak truth into us. Give us the boldness and courageousness that we need to take the gospel to this city and the gospel to this world and to be what you have called us to be. God, as we look forward, you've prophesied so many prophecies were prophesied about the coming of Jesus, and Jesus prophesied about His return. Those prophecies about His coming were fulfilled, and I know that someday those prophecies about His return will be fulfilled. I pray that everyone who's here this morning will be with Jesus when that happens. As we go through this time of worship, decision, and reflection, May our hearts be turned to Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen.